This exhortation was brought to you by the Light Bearers, bringing light until there's no more darkness. Hallelujah. You know, I want you to know that our God is a miracle-working God. God works miracles, and he works the miracles through us on this earth. God is a miracle-working God. Whatever it is that seems impossible, the Bible says with God all things are possible. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above what you can ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. God is a miracle-working God. Now, I'm, I'm supposed to talk to us today about on plentiful and bountiful. We've been talking about plentiful and bountiful for the past four Saturdays now. Now, so today I'm going to continue with the topic plentiful and bountiful. Now, every time we hear these words, plentiful and bountiful, what comes to mind for most people is money, you know, financial resources. That's what readily comes to mind every time we hear plentiful and bountiful. What readily comes to mind is money and financial resources. But, you know, I want you to know that what God wants for us is not just money. What God wants for us is not just financial resources. What God wants for us is his grace. That's the plan of God. That, that was the plan of God from the foundations of the world that we would enjoy his grace. So God doesn't just want us to have plenty of money or financial resources. No, God wants us to have his grace. God wants us to enjoy his grace. Now, you begin to ask yourself that what is the grace of God? Because I was saying to us that every time this word plentiful and bountiful comes to mind, what readily comes to mind for the average person is money or financial resources. But I was saying to us that God's plan for us, God's intention for us actually is his grace. What God really wants for us is the grace of God. What he wants us to enjoy and partake of is his grace. Now, you begin to ask yourself that what is the grace of God? What is the grace of God? Now, the grace of God is the divine influence of God upon the heart of a man and its reflection in his life. The grace of God is the divine influence of God upon the heart of a man and its reflection in his life. So God's grace is about God's influence upon the heart of a man and then his reflection. That means the result of God's influence upon the heart of a man that shows on the, on the outside. That is what the grace of God is. God's grace indicates favor on the part of the giver and thanks on the part of the receiver. So you can also say that God's grace is God's favor. That favor that God gives to us as men and you know the gratitude that we show to God in receiving his favor so God's grace is actually God's favor and this favor of God is the plan of God or is what God planned for us from the foundations of the world now you can also say that grace is a gift from God to man that elevates the man from the level of humanity to the level of divinity so God's grace is God's gift to man that elevates us from the level of humanity to divinity. So God's grace is God's gift to us that elevates us, that causes us to, to, to be elevated from the realm of humanity to the realm of divinity. It's a special favor from God. Now, if you open to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 emphasizes the fact that the grace of God is a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, Paul tells the church in Ephesus that we are saved by grace through faith. He then says, 
that not of ourselves. He says it is the gift of God. So God's grace is the gift of God. He says we are saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves. That means this grace is not something that comes from us. He says it's the gift of God. So salvation came through grace. That's what Paul is saying here. And he says this grace is the gift of God. So grace is a gift from God to man that elevates us from the level of humanity to divinity. God's grace causes us to partake of the divine nature. That's what the grace of God is. Now, you now begin to ask yourself that what does the grace of God have to do with our finances? Now, if you open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, what does the grace of God have to do with our finances? Because I was saying to us that God's intention for us is not just for us to have money or for us to have financial resources. What God actually wants for us is his grace. What God wants us to enjoy is his grace because the grace of God covers all. And that's why I say the grace of God is a gift from God that causes a man to be elevated from the realm of humanity to divinity. It's God's special gift. It's God's favor to man. Now, Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, look at what Paul says to the church in Corinth with respect to our finances. He says that, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. So Paul begins to say here, he says that for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying that you know what the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is about. Because, you know, I was saying to us that what God wants for us is actually his grace. Now, Paul now begins to describe to the church in Corinth, he begins to explain to them what the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is about. He says this is what the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is about that though he was rich, in other words, though he had all things in abundance, he had all things at his disposal, he became poor, he became destitute for our sakes, that we through his poverty might become rich. Now, what Jesus did by dying on the cross is that he forsook everything he had so that we could become rich, so that we could stand by his grace. So now we can talk about enjoying the grace of God because Jesus paid a price on the cross, because Jesus made himself destitute, you know, he stripped himself of all that he had just for us to be able to enjoy his grace and of course from his grace come riches so paul says for ye know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he were rich he became poor for our sake that we through his poverty might be rich so the reason why i can say today that i can i will be rich i'm rich and i cannot be poor is because there's something jesus did on the cross jesus paid a price on the cross so paul describes it as the grace of our lord jesus christ and that though jesus was rich now when he says jesus was rich you begin to wonder is he saying that jesus had so much money stashed somewhere no he's saying that he had all things in abundance if jesus ever needed anything there were times when jesus was in it but if he ever needed anything his needs were always met. So Jesus had all things. He was very big God. He owned all things. The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. So He says, all things were made by Him. So if all things were made by Him, how could He lack what He made? Is it possible for you to lack what you to make it's not possible even if you don't have it you will make it again so he made all things by him were all things created whether they may or not visible and invisible whether they be thrones dominions principalities and powers all things were made by him and for him so he owns all things all things were made by him but he stripped himself of all these things he became a man he humbled himself he became obedient to the death even the death of the cross so that we too could partake of this divine nature where we have all things where we can possess all things so paul calls it the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he 
he was rich. Yes, for our sakes, he became poor. That which in his poverty might become rich. So this is what the grace of God is about. That's a display of what the grace of God is about. You know, so if you go further to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14, you begin to see how Paul begins to tell the church in Galatia of how of what Jesus did for us on the cross. I redeemed us from the cause of the Lord so that we could enjoy the blessings of Abraham. And this blessing of Abraham that he's talking about is also a product of the grace of God. The reason why we can enjoy these blessings of Abraham is because the grace of God is at work in us. Now it's because now we can partake of this grace of God. Now, if you go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14 quickly galatians chapter 3 verse 13 to 14 galatians chapter 3 verse 13 to 14 galatians chapter 3 verse 13 to 14 the bible says that christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a cross for us for it is written curse is everyone that hangeth on a tree verse 14 says that the blessing of abraham might come on the gentiles through jesus christ that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith in christ jesus so what paul is saying here paul says christ redeemed us from the cause of the law being made a cross for us for his reaching causes everyone that and get on a tree that tree is talking about is the cross so he's saying that when jesus died on the cross what literally happened was that jesus redeemed us he saved us he delivered us from the curse of the law, because it was made a cause for us. And how was it made a cause for us? By being hung or by being hanged on the cross. So because it was hanged on the cross, which is the tree he's talking about, it was made a cause for us. And that was the way he saved us and delivered us from the cause of the law. And the reason why Jesus did that was so that, verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. So now we can partake of the blessing of Abraham because Christ has been made a cross for us. Us, or it was made a cause for us on the cross. This is the same thing Paul is trying to describe to the church in Corinth. If you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, this is the same thing he's trying to describe. He's just using different words where he says that that you know that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That ye through his poverty might become rich. So it's like he's saying that though he was blessed, yet he became a cause for you on the cross. So that you through him being cursed can become blessed. That's what he's talking about. So he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. So you can say it in this manner. That though he was blessed, though he is the source of blessing, yet he became a cross for us on the cross. That we through him being cursed can become blessed in Christ Jesus. So, you know, at this juncture, I just want us to begin to give thanks to God for his grace, for the grace of God that is made available to us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Can we just begin to say, Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your special favor. Thank you for your gift to us. Thank you for your grace. Hallelujah. Now, you know, I was saying to us that what God wants for us is not just money or financial resources. What he really intended from the beginning is that we enjoy his grace. Because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is what has made us rich in every aspect, in every form. Now, the work that Jesus did on the cross was a complete work. It was a work to cover all that pertains to us. Our welfare, our salvation, the salvation of our spirit, our soul, and our body, all that pertains to us was settled on the cross. And that's what the grace of God is about. God's grace is all-encompassing. It covers everything. Our health, our finances, all that pertains to us, our family life, our relationship, God's grace covers everything. So when he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's trying to let you know something, that this grace covers everything. This blessing of Abraham covers everything. Now, you begin to ask yourself a question. How do we utilize 
this grace of God to enjoy God's plentifulness and bountifulness. How do we enjoy this grace of God? How do we utilize it? How do we make use of this grace of God to enjoy God's bountifulness and plentifulness? How do we use it to, how do we utilize it to enjoy God's plentifulness and bountifulness? Now, one of the things I want you to know is that God's grace is a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. I know that we have spoken about the fact that it's a gift from God. That gift that God sent to us, that is called the grace of God, is a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. That's the gift that God sent to us. So the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That was the gift that God gave us. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. So God gave us a gift. And that gift is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the grace of God. The grace of God is fully expressed in this man called Jesus Christ. Now, Titus chapter 2, the book of Titus. The book of Titus chapter 2, verse 11. The book of Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. The book of Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says that, we're going to read verse 11 and 12. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. It says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. One of the things you begin to ask yourself is, What is this grace of God that appeared, that brought salvation and appeared to all men? Because the only thing I know that appeared, or the only person I know that appeared was Jesus Christ. So the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, And the word was made flesh. And he dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the only person that appeared unto us, the only thing that we know that appeared unto us was Jesus. And that's why I say that the grace of God is a person. So the Bible says, and the world was made flesh, and he dwelt amongst us. He appeared unto us. He dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory. We saw his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Titus chapter 2 verse 11, it says that for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God that brings salvation has revealed itself. Now you begin to ask yourself, who brought salvation? Jesus Christ. Who appeared to all men? Jesus Christ. So Paul is literally telling Titus that the grace of God is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. So you could change it and say for Jesus Christ that brings salvation has appeared to all of us. Because he's the one that appeared to all of us. And guess what? How do we know that he's the fullest expression of God's grace. If you go to John chapter 1 verse 17, even the same John chapter 1 verse 14, where it says we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, it says he was full of grace and truth, full of grace and reality. So Jesus was the full expression of God's grace. Now if you go down to John chapter 1 verse 17, the Bible says the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So Jesus brought grace and truth. What Jesus came to reveal to us was God's grace and God's truth. And so Titus chapter 2 verse Verse 11 says, the grace of God that brings salvation. It's like saying Jesus Christ, the word that became flesh, that brought salvation, has appeared unto all men, teaching us. So the grace of God is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. So he appeared to us and he brought salvation unto us. But he doesn't stop there. He goes further to verse 12 to tell you what the grace of God is about and what the grace of God will do in your life. He says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly loss, we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world. 
What is he saying here? He's saying that this grace of God that appeared to us, that brought salvation to us, who is Jesus Christ, did not just appear to us for appearance sake. He says he has a work that he's doing in us. And that work is that he's teaching us to deny ungodliness and godly lust. And he's also teaching us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So he says the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and godly lust. And the grace of God teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, you now begin to ask yourself, what does this have to do with our finances? Because now it talks about the grace of God teaching us, explain to us that this grace of God is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. So he brought salvation. He appeared to all men. But it doesn't say that he says he teaches us to deny ungodliness and godly love, and that he teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, you begin to ask yourself, what does this have to do with our finances? Now, the first thing he says he teaches us is that he says he teaches us to live soberly. What does he mean to live soberly? That word soberly means to live with a sound mind. It means to live moderately. It means to live with this, to have this, to exercise self-restraint that governs all your passions and desires and enables you to be conformed to the mind of Christ. So he's saying that God's grace will teach you to live soberly, to live with a sound mind. In other words, God's grace will teach you soundness of mind. God's grace will teach you to exercise self-restraint that will govern your passions and desires, that will enable you to conform to the mind of Christ. Now, what does this have to do with your finances? What he's saying here is that God's grace will teach us to know what to do part time. And that's what he means by soundness of mind. God's grace will teach us to be astute. You know, it will teach us astuteness. It will teach us to know what to do, to be circumspect. It will give us a sound mind. God's grace will teach us to exercise restraint that we govern our passions and desires and enable us to conform to the mind of Christ. In other words, we begin to think like Christ, make decisions like Christ. God's grace will teach us to live soberly. It will teach us to to walk in soundness of mind, to make accurate decisions. God's grace will lead us to make decisions by the promptings of the Spirit of God. So he says it will teach us to live soberly, not just to live moderately, not just to exercise restraint over our desires and passions, but also for us to make sound judgment. That's what he's saying. So God's grace will teach us to live soberly, to make sound judgment, to have a sound mind, to have the mind of Christ, to make decisions by the promptings of the Spirit. Now, it goes for, it says to live righteously. So, it says to live soberly. It goes for, it says to live righteously. Now, to live righteously yeah, with respect to our finances, he's saying that God's grace will teach us to live, you know, equitably. In other words, he's saying God's grace will teach us to live justly, in accordance with what is right. God's grace will teach us to be just in all our dealings, with respect to our finances. So, he says that God's grace will teach us to live soberly, which is to live with a sound mind. It will teach us to make sound judgment, to make accurate decisions. Now, it goes for that. It says God's grace will teach us to live righteously. That means to live justly, to make to be just in all our dealings, to make righteous decisions in all our dealings. Now, it goes for that to also say that God's grace will also teach us to live godly in this present world. Now, what does it mean to live godly? To live godly means to live piously. But it also means to live the life of God on this earth. So to live godly means to live the God kind of life. To live the life that God has given to us. It means to live as gods on the face of this earth. So the Bible says, ye are God. Ye are God. So he's saying here that one of some of the things that God's grace will do to you is that God's grace will teach you to live soberly. In other words, to live moderately, yes. 
to exercise restraint over your passions and desires, yes. But what that word soberly also means is that God's grace will teach you to walk in soundness of mind, to make sound judgment, accurate decisions. You will know what to do part time, to walk circumspectly. God's grace will teach you to live righteously, to be just in all your dealings. God's grace will also teach you to live godly, to live piously, but also to live the God life, the God kind of life, to live the divine life on the face of this earth. Now, why is all this important for us with respect to our finances? Why is all this important? Because you see, there is no way you will walk in the grace of God with respect to your finances if you do not live righteously, soberly, and godly. Now, you cannot enjoy God's grace if you don't live by these three attributes. And these three attributes, it is God's grace that will teach you. So, I can't just wake up in the morning and tell myself, I'm righteous. I will live righteously today. No! Paul says here that the grace of God teaches us. So, God's grace will teach you to live righteously, to be just in all your dealings. God's grace will teach you to live soberly, to walk in soundness of mind, to make accurate decisions, to make sound judgment in all your dealings. God's grace will teach you to live godly, to live like God on the face of the earth, to live piously, but to also live the divine life on the face of this earth. Now, these are the things that will make you walk in abundance. These are the things that will make you walk in the divine life with respect to your finances. Now, why do we have to work in these things? One of the things I want you to know is the fact that Jesus actually displayed all these things because it was the full expression of God's grace. While Jesus was on the face of this earth, he walked righteously, he walked soberly. In other words, he made accurate decisions, sound judgment. He walked in soundness of mind and it reflected itself in Jesus' finances and he lived godly. In other words, he did things with respect to his finances that showed that he was not an ordinary man. Now, how do we know this? If you open to Matthew chapter 17, the book of Matthew chapter 17 quickly. Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17 from verse 24 to 27. Matthew chapter 17. From verse 24 to 27. Matthew chapter 17 from verse 24 to 27. Look at what he says. He says, And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He said, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom of tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter said unto him, of strangers, Jesus said unto him, then are the children free. Verse 27. It says, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go down to the sea and cast an hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. Now, what happened here? The tax collectors, they came to meet Peter. And they asked Peter in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 17. They said, does not your master pay tribute? In other words, does your master not pay tribute? And they were talking, they were referring to Jesus. They asked Simon Peter. They said, does not your master pay tribute? In other words, does he not pay tax? And in verse 25, the Bible says, Peter came into the house and Jesus prevented him and said, what do you think? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Is it of their own children or of strangers? Because Jesus felt that they were not supposed to pay this tax because they were not strangers. But look at what Peter said unto him. Peter said in verse 26, of strangers. Jesus said unto him, then are the children free. In other words, we are children. We are free. We are not, we are not strangers. We are not supposed to pay this tax. But in verse 27, Jesus says something. He says, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. Now, remember I told you that the grace of God teaches us three things. To live soberly, to live righteously, and to live Godly. And you see Jesus express these three things by the grace of God. You will see him express these three things. Now, the first is, he says, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. 
He says, go down to the sea and cast an hook and take up the fish that first come up. And when you have opened his mouth, you will find a piece of money that take and give to them for me and you. Now, one of the things I want you to know is the fact that Jesus was not poor. And at the same time, it's not like Jesus was going about with bags of money. No. But his needs were always met. How were his needs met? This is an example. They came to them for tax. Imagine if they had this money physically. He would have just given it to Peter and told Peter to go and give them. But obviously, they didn't have this with them physically. But guess what? There's something called sound judgment. That is what he means by God's grace will teach you to live soberly. In other words, you have soundness. Or you will know what to do. You won't be confused. Now, Jesus said to him, Go to the sea, cast an hook, and take up the fish. And the first that cometh up, when you have opened his mouth, you will find a piece of money there. In other words, Jesus just knew where his money was. He knew where his money was. And you see, many a time as believers, when we find ourselves in situations where we are in need, we don't know what to do, where we really need resources, financial resources, we need money. We don't know what to do. Now, Jesus finds himself in this same situation. They needed this money to pay this task. Obviously, these task collectors, they were trying Jesus. They wanted to see his response. They wanted to see if he would pay or not. And so Jesus says to Peter, lest we offend them. That's the first thing he says. He says, lest we offend them. You know, that was Jesus tries to be just in all his grace. He says, lest we offend them. Even though we are not bound to pay this task, he says, lest we offend them. And that's what he means to live righteously. You are just in all your doing. Jesus says, lest we offend them. The second thing he does is, he works in soundness of mind. He makes accurate decisions. He walks circumspectly. He has soundness. He knows what to do. He says to Peter, go cast your hook. Go to the sea, cast and hook, take up the fish. And the first that comes up, accurate decisions. He knows what to do. He tells Peter, go to the sea, cast the hook. And the first fish that comes up, when you open his mouth, you will find a piece of money there. Now, if you want to say, how did Jesus know that there will be money in the mouth of the first fish? He knew by the Spirit. That is what the grace of God can do to a man. The grace of God is not just about having money everywhere. No. But it's about the fact that you will always know what to do when you are in need. God will lead you aright. The grace of God will teach you soundness of mind. You will know where your money is. You will make the right decisions. The first is he was just in his diligence. He said, let's offend them. The second is he knew where their money was. He knew what to do. He knew what to tell Peter to do. He said, go to the sea. Cast your hook. And the first thing that comes up, open the mouth. You will find a piece of money there. Use it to pay for attack. So he knew where their money was. The third thing is this. By the time Peter does that and the money comes out, how do you think Peter will view Jesus? That is divinity in display. How that a man will say to you, go to the sea, cast your hook, the first fish that you see, bring it out, bring out money from it. That is God living on the face of it. That's what it means to live godly. It's, it's not just being pious, but it's also about displaying God, displaying the life of God, displaying divinity. That's why I said the grace of God is the gift of God that elevates us from humanity to divinity. In other words, we will experience miracles, we will experience things that would that would confound men, things that would be beyond the human understanding. And so Jesus here, he displays righteousness. How did he display it? He was just in his deeds. He said, let's go tell them. The second is he displays being sober. You know, he displays walking in soundness of mind. And how did he display that? He knew what to do. He was not confused. He said to Peter, go to this, go to this, cast your hook, the first fish, the piece of money is there. The third is divinity. That miracle, the fact that Peter actually went there, and when he got there, there was money in the mouth of the first fish that he took. That is divinity in this day. That is the divine nature. Now, the second example of this is in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 1 to 14. John chapter 6, verse 1 to 14. Now, this was a case where Jesus needed to feed 5,000 people. Now, Jesus was not obliged to feed them, but Jesus knew they needed food, and he wanted to feed them. Now, and that's why I said to you that the grace of God teaches us three things, to live soberly, soundness of mind. You know what to do. 
making sound judgment. You know, the second is to live righteously, being just in your dealings. The third is godliness, not just being pious, but also the display of the God kind of life. In this, your natural life, people seeing God in your life. That's why it says, Yeah, God. Now, John chapter 6, quickly. John chapter 6, verse 1 to 14. Now, this is, these are popular stories, but I don't want to show us how the grace of God inspired Jesus. That's why the Bible says he was full of grace and truth. He is the grace of God personified. But you see how the grace of God teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly. It's not just about being moderate, it's not just about living, you know, a righteous life in terms of our act. But it's also about living the God kind of life. It's also about making sound judgment. It's also about, you know, doing things the right way. It's also about being just in our dealings. Now, John chapter 6 from verse 1 to 14, quickly. Here Jesus said the 5,000. I want to show you how he displayed these three things. John chapter 6 from verse 1 to 14. The Bible says, and after this thing, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Where shall we buy bread that this may eat? And this is heard to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7 Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples Andrew. Simon Peter's brother said unto him, There is a lad here which had five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to his disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five valley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Now, what happened here? Now, I want to show you how Jesus displayed these things. Now, I told you that this of God teaches us to live soberly, to make sound judgments, to know what to do. Now, this was a story of Jesus seeing a great multitude come unto him, and he wanted to feed them. Now, look at what the Bible says in verse 5 to 7, which is very critical. The Bible says that when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great multitude come unto him, he said unto Philip, where shall we buy bread that this may eat? But in verse 6, look at what the Bible says. He says, and this said it to prove him, for he himself what knew what he would do. Look at it. Jesus asked Philip that where can we buy bread so that this multitude can eat? But the Bible says in verse 6 that that question Jesus asked Philip, he was not asking him to get an answer. Jesus was just asking him to prove it. For Jesus himself knew what he would do. In other words, he was never confused. That is what the grace of God does to a man. So even when it looks like you are overwhelmed, he says Jesus himself knew what he would do. But he asked Philip, he said, how can we feed these people? And guess what, verse 7, of course, Philip, based on the resources they had, Philip said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them. Look, the question Jesus asked Philip was, where shall we buy bread that they may eat? In other words, where can we buy bread? He didn't ask him, do we have enough resources to buy bread? No. He said, where can we buy bread? But look at Philip's response. Philip knew, and that's what 
our human understanding does to us. It limits us. And that's what grace of God does to us. The grace of God elevates our thinking. It makes us to look beyond the available physical resources. So Philip looked at what they had. Philip said, 200 bedding worth of bread is not sufficient. But Jesus didn't ask him how much do we have. Jesus said, where shall we buy bread? In other words, Jesus already knew what to do. But Philip was limited by his thinking and his understanding as a human being. Philip said 220 worth of bread is not enough. So Philip was not even asking the question of where we we'll get bread from. Philip was looking at the resources available. But the Bible says in verse 6 that Jesus said this to prove him. For he himself knew what to do. That soundness of mind. That's what the grace of God teaches us. To live soberly. To be sound in our judgment. To be sound in our thinking. To know what to do. To think the right or to be circumspect, to never be confused. So the Bible says he himself knew what he would do. And what did he eventually do? The Bible says that someone else, which was Andrew Simon Peter's brother, in verse 8, said in verse 9 that there's a lad here that had five body loaves and two small fishes. What are they among so many? Now Jesus knew that it was those five loaves and two fishes he used to feed the five thousand. And the Bible says in verse 10, he said, Make the men sit down. And they sat down. And the Bible says they were about five thousand in number. And in verse 11, the Bible says he took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed it to his disciples and disciples to them that were set down and likewise the fishes. And the Bible says in verse 12 that they were filled and he said unto his disciples, gather the fragments that remained and nothing be lost. So Jesus knew what to do. But he asked Philip just to prove him. And Philip, of course, as a human being, looked at the resources available. Instead of answering the question, he said that 200 penny worth of bread will not be enough. It will suffice. But Jesus said, no, that's not the important thing. The important thing is where can we get bread to feed them? And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, answered that question to Jesus, for Jesus. And he said, there's someone here that has five bad and two fishes. And Jesus said, let everybody see that. For he knew what to do. He was never confused. And so that's what the grace of God does for standards of mind. Knowing what to do. Above the thinking of the natural man. Above the resources, the physical resources that are available. And that's why what God really wants for us is not money. Because look, if you rely on the money you have, you will never be able to fulfill God's purpose on earth. You will always be limited in your thinking. Just like Philip. But because Jesus was operating by the grace of God. He was not operating by the cash available. He always knew what to do. Now, that was soundness of mind. But let me show you how he displayed godliness. And even the people around bore witness to it. The Bible says in verse 13 that therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets. This was after they had distributed the five loaves and two fishes. They still gathered 12 baskets with fragments of five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. So, after they had fed them with five loaves and two fish, they still gathered 12 baskets of fragments. And in verse 14, the Bible says, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of the truth, that prophet that should come into the world. In other words, they acknowledged that this was God. They acknowledged godliness in the life of Jesus. They said, This is of the truth, the prophet, because of the miracle that they saw. So, one of the things the grace of God does is, it displays three things. Soberliness. Godliness, righteousness. So it displays soundness of mind. It causes us to display. Men will see that you are sound in your thinking. You make accurate decisions. Just like Jesus, he always knew what to do. He was not limited by the physical resources available. He also displayed godliness. They bore witness to the fact that this guy must be a prophet from God. When they saw that miracle, when they saw how five loaves and two fishes fed 5,000 men. Now, thirdly, there's a third one in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. This is a third example of how Jesus worked in these three attributes of the grace of God. Righteousness, soberliness, and godliness. Now, Luke chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 1 to 11. Now, this is a story of what happened when Jesus met Simon Peter and John and James, the sons of Zebedee. Now, this was a story of how they toiled all night and they got no fish. Now, Luke chapter 5, from verse 1 to 11, quickly. The Bible says, and it came to pass. That as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, 
He stood by the lake of Gennesaret. So Jesus was ministering God's word here. And the Bible says he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two sheep standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. So Jesus was preaching by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two sheep in verse 2 standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and they were washing their nets. Verse 3. And he entered into one of the sheep, which was Simon, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the sheep. So Jesus entered into one of the sheep, which was owned by Simon Peter. And he asked him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And Jesus sat down on, in Simon Peter's sheep and taught the people out of Simon Peter's sheep. Now, verse 4. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. Now, realize that this guy, was, they had come out of their sheep. They were already washing their nets. Jesus requested for one of their sheep to preach gospel. After preaching, he says to Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. Verse 5. Simon answered, said unto him, Master, we have thought all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the nets. So, these fishermen, Simon, Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they are thought all night as fishermen. They got nothing. Jesus uses one of their sheep, which was Simon Peter, to preach God's word. And after preaching, he says, launch into the deep. Let down your net for a drought. He told him, he said, let down your net for a drought. That is, that is what it means to be sober. That is what it means when he says to live soberly. You know, that was soundness of mind. He knew what to do. He said, let down your net for a drought. Sound judgment. He knew what, we, what the outcome will be. He didn't just know what to do. He also knew what the outcome will be. So he didn't just say launch into the deep. He said, let down your net for a drought. And in verse 5, the Bible says, Simon said, we have told you that we got nothing. And in verse 6, the Bible says, in that same verse, he said, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And in verse 6, he says, when they are done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. Just as Jesus said it. Jesus said, let down your net for a draft. He knew what will happen. So he didn't just say launch into the deep. He said, let it down for a draft. He knew that by the time they are bringing out that net, it will be a net breaking net. It will be full of fishes. And in verse 6, the Bible says, when they are done this, they enclosed a, a great multitude of fishes and their net break. These were men that are told all that. And you see, in this same manner, there might be you know, there might be some of us who have struggled with our finances, whether we're in business or in career, maybe we have struggled in any area of our finances. When the grace of God comes on board, when we begin to walk in the grace of God, this is what happens. They are toiled all night. So in areas where you feel you have struggled, there are areas where people feel like, oh, I'm not doing this business anymore. I've done it. I've not made profit. I've struggled with it. When the grace of God is on board, you will know what to do. There will be abundance in that same place, in that same field where you said there was nothing. God will open your eyes to see where there is abundance. And that's what happened here. Jesus is the full expression of God's grace. And he says to Peter, launch into the deep. Let down your net for a drop. And when, when they obey that instruction, guess what? There's a great multitude of pieces and their net break. And in verse 7, the Bible says, and they beckoned unto their partners, which are in the other sheep, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the sheep so that they began to sink. This was a net-breaking miracle. This is what the grace of God can do. Now, if you go for that verse 8, the Bible says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down and Jesus is saying, depart from me from a sinful man. Now, this verse 8 is what proves that what they saw, that miracle they saw, was an expression of God's grace. How do I know this? The Bible says, when Simon Peter saw it, they are told all night. All that Jesus requested for was that he should launch his net 
into the deep for a drought. He said, launch into the deep and let down your net for a drought. Peter said, we have toiled all night. We have walked all night. That's the same way sometimes as human beings, we feel we have spent years trying to achieve something. But he says, nevertheless, at your word, because God's word is full of grace and truth. And that's what the word of God does to us. It gives us, it causes us to walk in grace and truth. And guess what? When they obey that instruction, they experience a net breaking miracle. And the Bible says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knee, saying, depart from me from a sinful man. Now, Literally, what happened there is that Jesus simply preached salvation without having to preach directly to Peter, James, and John. Simply, what happened was a full expression of God's grace. Because remember, Titus 2, 11 to 12 says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. So what appeared to Simon, Peter, James, and John was the grace of God that brings salvation. But the manner in which it appeared was that it sorted their finances. And that's why I'm saying that the grace of God covers everything. It's not just about a miracle to heal the sick or miracle to raise the dead. It's also about miracle in your finances. And that is what they experienced. They were fishermen. Obviously, they were doing this to hand a living. They told them that they got nothing. They were about to go back home. But guess what? They come in contact with the grace of God that brings salvation. They experience a net-breaking miracle beyond their imagination. But instead of going away and, you know, with the fishes, guess what? Peter falls down at the knees of Jesus and says, depart from me from a sinful man. He simply sees salvation. So the Bible says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. What appeared to them was the grace of God. That miracle they experienced was the grace of God. And if you go for that, Verse 9, the Bible says, For it was astonished, and all that were with him, at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James, John, the sons of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch me. And in verse 11, the Bible says, When they had brought the ships to the land, they forsook all and followed Jesus. Powerful. Verse 11, the Bible says, When they had brought all the fishes. So imagine, if it's a normal human being, after getting this net breaking miracle of fishes. You know, this drought that your ship began to sink, you have to call your partners to help you. What you'll be saying is, Thank you, Jesus. We are going to sell the fishes to make money. But guess what? The first thing that happened to Peter is that he falls at the knees of Jesus and says, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Salvation is revealed to him, not just to him, but also to James and John, the sons of David. And this was how they became disciples of Jesus. Because in verse 11, in verse 10, Jesus said, Fear not, from henceforth you will catch men. You won't just be catching fishes, you will catch men for me. And in verse 11, the Bible says, When they had brought everything to the land, they forsook everything and followed Jesus. Why? Because they knew that the grace of God will produce this result over and over. That's the difference between grace and money. When you have physical money, you are limited by it. But when the grace of God is upon you, you know that even if money goes, money will still come. The grace of God will produce and reproduce. And this is what Peter, James, and John, this was what was revealed to them. That grace of God that teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. They saw Jesus walk in Sundays of men, they saw God in it, and when they saw it, they forsook everything and followed Jesus. You know, I think just, I just want us to begin to declare the name of Jesus that we walk in the grace of God that brings salvation. We walk in the grace of God that teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and just in this present evil world. We walk in soundness of mind, just like Jesus. He always knew what to do, he knew what the outcome will be. We walk in the grace of God that teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly. We walk as God on this, we walk in soundness of accuracy in our judgment. We know what to do. We perceive things rightly. We don't make wrong judgment. We were just in all our deeds. The grace of God teaches us. The grace of God teaches us. We know what to do. We go beyond the realm of physical material money, physical resources. We go above it. We walk in the grace of God. Jesus was never limited by the resources that Thank you, Lord Jesus. We walk as divine. We experience the miraculous. We are not limited by our physical resources. 
You know, Jesus asked Philip, he said, where shall we buy bread? Philip said that 200 penny worth of bread cannot feed these people. But Jesus knew what to do. He only wanted to prove it. Jesus knew we didn't need to depend on our physical resources. Is there anybody that has five loaves and two fish? Bring it. Let us multiply it. Let us give them and let us share it to feed everybody. That is the grace of God. Knowing what to do. Walking in divinity. Walking in godliness. Nanda Rakaba. We declare in the name of Jesus. That your grace teaches us to live soberly. Righteously and godly. In this present world, we walk above the system of the world. We are not limited by the systems of this world. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And in every area in which we have struggled, just like Peter, James, and John, in every area in which we have taught, we declare the grace of God causes us to experience an avalanche of resources. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God. In Jesus' name we are praying. You know, as we round up this meeting, I want us to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 68. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 8. As we round up this meeting, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 8. As we round up this meeting, you know, I want you to know that one of the things that the grace of God teaches us is that God's grace teaches us on how to utilize our resources. I remember when I was talking about these same topics on two Saturdays ago, I was saying to us that the way to keep having plentiful and bountiful is that God will instruct you on how to give. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 to 10, it says, honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruit of your increase. It says, then shall your bounds be filled with plenty and your white presses will burst out with new wine. So even though God gives us this grace and this grace causes resources to come to us, the grace of God will also teach us on how to utilize these resources. We to give, how to give to what God is doing, who to give to. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 8, as we round up this meeting, look at what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 8. The Bible says, Paul was talking to the church in Corinth. He said, but this I say, he which sweat sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which sweat bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Realize the topic is, you know, bountiful and plentiful. So he says here that anyone that sows sparingly, will reap sparingly. Anyone that sows bountifully, will reap bountifully. Now, in verse 7, he then says, Every man according as he proposes in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul emphasizes here the fact that giving is a part of the Christian life. For you to enjoy the grace of God, he says anyone that sows sparingly, will live sparingly. Anyone that sows bountifully, will live bountifully. He says every man according as he has proposed in his heart, let him give. But there's a law. If you sow sparingly, you will live sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will live bountifully. He says, but let every man give as he has proposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. He then says in verse 8, he says, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good of What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that there is a level of grace where God can cause you to cause all grace to abound to us. All grace. In other words, all grace means all-round grace. There's no area in which you do not experience the grace of God. All grace. Maximum level of grace. It says God is able to make you, to make all grace to abound towards you. So that you always have enough sufficiency in all things. We are bound to every good of But before he said that, he lets you know that the guarantee or the ticket to working in this all grace or for this grace to be abundant towards you, is that you must sow bountifully. You must give with a cheerful heart. You must give with a cheerful heart. Because if you do not give, there's no resources will come back to you. And that's what he was saying in Proverbs 3, 9 to 10, that he says that honor the Lord with your soul. In other words, 
set your substance before God. Let God be the one to teach you how to utilize your resources. That's why he says, honor God with your substance. Set it before him. Let him be the one to tell you, oh yeah, give this, you know, give to the needy, give to what I'm doing on the face of the earth. Oh, this one, use it for yourself. Do you understand? So he says, honor the Lord with your substance. Then shall your bounds be filled with plenty. And your wife places will boss what you are. Here too, Paul says, anyone that sows sparingly will be sparingly. Anyone that sows bountifully will be bountifully. He says, every man as he has proposed in his heart, let him give, not godly of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Then says God is able to make all grace abound towards you. So God is able to make all grace abound towards you. But this will only happen when you sow bountifully, when you honor the Lord with your substance. You are lying to be the one to teach you how to utilize your resources. You don't be talk more than this. Right? You know, at this as round of this meeting, I just want us to begin to declare in the name of Jesus that we sow bountifully and rebountifully, we give cheerfully, that God makes all grace to abound towards us, so that we always have been sufficient in all things. We are bound to every good luck. We are not lacking anything. In the name of Jesus, because we learn to follow instructions, we honor God with our substance. Therefore, God makes all grace abound towards us. All grace, all grace, He causes all grace to abound towards us, so that we always have all sufficient in all things. We are bound to every good work in the name of Jesus. We lack nothing good. We do not lack in anything. God causes all grace to abound towards us. Why? Because we so bountifully. Because we honor the Lord in ourselves. We give as instructors. And let go go. We allow God to teach us and to utilize our resources. Therefore, we enjoy all grace. All grace abounds towards us. We have all sufficient in all things. We are bound to every good of. Mandala,